Warning. This podcast plays live EVPs. We will try our best to warn you before the EVPs come up on the podcast, but this is the warning that we will play live EVPs during the recording of this episode. Well, another day down and another day to go, huh, David? Yeah, I'm back from Bear Lake. Yeah, how was that for you? Um, it wasn't terrible. It was cold but and windy for Bear Lake, but Yeah. Like the last day was fine. It's just muddy. It's like muddy season now. That's what I hate the most about spring. Yeah. So you're doing roughs over there in Bear Lake? Like last uh, time? Trims. Trims, trims, trims right. Yeah. Trims. Yeah, but working out of town kinda sucks, so I like but I mean pays a little bit better. Yeah. So flip of the coin but i hear it's supposed to snow tuesday yeah i was looking at the weather this morning and apparently monday through friday there's some sort of a storm brewing and then next weekend is going to be nice and perfect interesting well hopefully friday's not terrible yeah because aren't you uh getting your new hot tub that's when i'm supposed to get it yeah sweet well, hopefully the installation and everything isn't too bad and the weather holds out for that. Yeah, I mean, luckily, once it gets it where it needs to go, there's a roof over it, but... Yeah, that is very true. I was just thinking more or less them transporting it from the truck to the back of the house and everything. You just don't want it too muddy. Accidents could happen, so that's what I was kind of thinking anyway. Yep. So... But, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's been one hell of a week, that's for damn sure. I feel like, uh, is Mercury in retrograde? Because I feel like a lot of people were were dicks this week, to be honest with you. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like people are always dicks. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong there. Personally, yeah. but... So... Well, you ready to get this party started, David? Okay. This podcast contains material and language that may be disturbing to some listeners. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. David and Shane discuss their random paranormal adventures and stories. We dive into paranormal cases from the past and the present. We also talk about what got us into the paranormal, the highlights, and the scary moments while on our adventures. This is Shane, and you are listening to... Bear River Paranormal Podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. This podcast represents the views and opinions of David and Shane and their guests to the show. The views and opinions are for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique to their experiences, knowledge, and research, any and all opinions expressed does not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of any Bear River Paranormal group member, nor any member of the paranormal community as a whole. Alright, welcome everybody to another episode of BRP Podcast. Uh, I am your host, David. And I am Shane. 
And today we are talking about energy vortexes, triangles, and earth uh, energies. And then we are also talking about uh, a video game today, uh, Visage. And then we are going to talk about uh, Benson Gris Mill, uh, the final chapter, basically. Because mm-hmm. we've talked about it uh, a few times during this podcast, uh, I think twice now. And we are going to finally bring everything together and talk about everything, our opinions and everything. Mm-hmm. And we also have uh, a guest that is joining us today, um, Rebecca. She is one of our team members, and uh, we'll get her introduced here. Um, and then on the next episode, she's also going to be on as well. And we'll talk more with her in depth with her own personal stories and how she got into the paranormal and all that. But, uh, yeah, let's, let's start. All right. So like David said, we have a guest on this episode. Her name is Rebecca. She has been on my team for, I would say, six seven years roundabout way and she's a very very good investigator i adore her uh thoroughly she's been one of my best friends uh we're super close and and quite honestly i couldn't ask for anybody better on this team to be a paranormal investigator so everybody this is rebecca becky how are you doing today i'm pretty good thanks it's a lot nicer down here than it is in my house. My house is wind. Yeah. Yeah, this morning was really, really cold. I, I thought it was going to storm this morning, and then I looked at the weather, and I was like, well, it's not storming, but it feels like it's like January out here again. Right. How's the wind over there? Has it been, like, howling, like, really bad? At my house? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yesterday it was really windy. We were out at the mud bogs yesterday, and it was super windy. Oh yeah, that's right. You, you, that's like right down the street from your guys' place, anyway, right? Yep. Hmm. So is it was it a big turnout? Yeah, it was pretty good. It wasn't quite as big as the last the last two weekends, but there was still a lot of people and a lot of trucks and Sweet. out playing in the mud. Yeah. Well, hopefully this uh, crappy weather that we're going to be getting this week is going to make it for a uh, very very interesting uh, mud box for next Saturday, right? Oh, absolutely. The more mud, the better. Exactly. <laughs> All right, David, do you have any uh, updates for us? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think I liked the last episode we did uh, with, because uh, we did it in two parts with uh, Storm mm-hmm. and Dan. I think that turned out really good. Oh, yeah. It was a very fun episode to record. It was even funner to edit. Just re-listening to our conversation everything from part one to part two. It was by far one of our best episodes that we've ever produced. And I hope that everybody out there enjoyed the part one and part two of that episode. Because there was, you know, if you look at it this way, you know, there's David and I. But then you look at Dan and Storm, they're complete opposites. But we all have things in common. And we they both came from completely different backgrounds. So having some of that back history of both of them and was able to post up some historical pictures from back in Dan's uh, heyday era in Hollywood, California, and all that good jazz. It was it was definitely a fun episode nonetheless. Yeah, I very much enjoyed that. Um, but we really haven't done too much since the last couple of podcasts. I'm sure you've done a couple of uh, cleansings. Yeah, done a couple cleansings, 
Uh, we have our group schedule out for for investigation, so that's going to be picking up at the end of the month, and that's going all the way towards uh, October. And the last event that we have on the schedule would be the uh, Para-X, which is going to be for two days. It's going to be the 14th to 15th of October here in Logan, Utah. We do have the links in the description of the po- each and every podcast in regards to that convention, so we definitely recommend that you check that out. But yeah, we kind of took a couple week break. I've been working on vehicles, just getting the maintenance up and going, and then you've been working out of town and trying to get things done on your house before the busyness of the summer eh, happens and all that good jazz. Yep, yep. Painted the deck. It's all painted and everything and just getting mm-hmm. everything ready for the hot tub and all that. And going to soon start working on the, well, it's going to be a minute because they're going to wait forever to turn my water on but it's gonna be working on the sprinklers here pretty soon yeah how's your grass been is it already growing and green and everything um well it just got aerated Mm. and they left a huge mess so Mm. that's nice and then also i'm dealing with uh the spring with allergy season starting to come creeping its way in well you and becky both (laughs) That's right. If I sound a little weird, it's because my nose is all stuffed up. <laughs> Doesn't that just sound so familiar, Becky? Oh yeah, I know. That's that's the first thing. First thing I said to Shane this morning. I said, "No one's gonna see me, right? Because my eyes hate me. There's no makeup <laughs> happening today." <laughs> yeah, tis the season for allergies. Last year, allergies kicked my ass. We had that. Uh, what was it, that dry pollen floating around last year because we had a really dry spring? Oh, man, that put me down for the count. And usually not a lot of things put me down, and that did. That sucked. So I'm hoping this year isn't too bad. Yeah, it's just my nose mostly. That's just what helps with sleeping. And then sometimes, you know, I'm sleeping yeah. and then runs out in my throat, and then my throat burns in the morning. It's great. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love it. No, we we all understand that <laughs> allergies suck, which that, is crazy because I never used to have allergies. Hmm. I developed them, so like I never had a problem. And then just one one year, I just like, man, what is this? And then hmm. they're like, oh, it's just allergies. I was like, fuck, that sucks. Well, welcome to getting old, young David. <laughs> Wait until the the storms start roll, moving in, and you'll still you'll uh, fill them in your joints. Well, yeah. I do. I feel it in my broken ankle all the time. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Man, David, you're getting old. I yeah, I've always felt that. That's why I'm getting a hot tub. Yeah, Dude, I'm <laughs> excited for you to body. get a hot tub. Right. Because out of out of all of us, I know you abuse your body the most due to the fact that your trade uh, abuses your body. So the hot tub is definitely going to be needed for you. True, very true. Because when I stayed up at Bear Lake during January, uh, which was the worst freaking week to go up there, um, the place we were staying at had a hot tub, and I used that every single night. Yeah. Did you guys stay in the same unit uh, this last week? No, because there was just two of us. Hmm. So we stayed in a smaller place because when we went up in January, there was like 10 of us. That's right. That's right. Well, it sounds like you guys kicked ass and took some names uh, for only being two of you over there in Bear Lake and all that done. 
Yeah, trims don't take much to get done, so... And there wasn't any complications? Uh, there always is, but... Yeah. I, I'm i used to it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, basically it for our updates. Also, check out our merch store. Uh, I haven't updated any new designs on there, but the dis- the designs that are on there are pretty legit uh everybody on my group has already purchased some and i know a few people outside of the group has purchased some as well i've gotten positive feedback on the merch and everything so we definitely recommend that you guys check that out every single purchase you guys do helps out my group and the podcast immensely so that way we can go out and do fun things that require some sort of monetary funds to go do you know, go buy equipment for any of the group members that can't afford equipment or anything like that. So any purchase definitely helps us out. So we definitely recommend checking out our merch store. The link is in the description of this podcast. So David, the topic of today's episode, energy vortexes, triangles, and the earth. You want to start off on that? Yes. So everyone knows, uh, like what the Bermuda Triangle is, right? Yeah. Um, and essentially, the thing with energy vortexes, because we kind of talk about it a lot with, uh, like, you know, portals and such are essentially mm-hmm. uh, a type of energy vortex, but it's categorized mm-hmm. differently um, in our mind. Is uh, Whereas spirits can't really go through energy vortexes, but I believe spirits can use... Uh, energy vortexes to like boost themselves yeah sort of so to speak so like natural earth uh vortexes and stuff that are created uh through the earth which is natural energy um spirits can uh manipulate and use this uh like with flow of water i believe is a form of energy vortex being created Mm -hmm. and uh there's just certain things on this earth where things are created uh, to amplify that, uh, such as like a Stonehenge. Um, I believe Stonehenge was put there specifically for a purpose because that area before the stones were erected was just a high natural energy vortex. Mm-hmm. And the people, for some whatever reason, I think just kind of felt that and said, we need to do something right here. And when they created Stonehenge, I feel like it just amplified all that natural energy that was created right there in that area. Because mm-hmm. if you look at it, I think there's like, what is it, nine or ten different ley lines that intersect right at that point. Yeah. And ley lines are the same thing for us as well with uh, energy vortexes just because of how it runs along the earth. Mm-hmm. So there definitely is a connection between the paranormal uh, and energy vortexes such have as you, that. Have you actually heard of... Because I've heard rumor that some people believe that aliens are the ones that caused the Stonehenge. What are your thoughts on that, David? I think they definitely didn't build it. I definitely believe humans built, built it. Yeah. Right? Because you'd be surprised... I mean, you have enough slaves, like the pyramids, for instance... You can accomplish whatever Mm -hmm. because they don't care how many countless people died building it. You know, Mm -hmm. I believe it could happen. So I believe humans definitely built it, whether or not they were instructed by a higher power or being to be like, hey, you should build this right here. You guys will like it later. I don't know. 
yeah. or if they'll use it for their own personal gains. But I, it's up in the air, obviously. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, for whatever reason why they built it, um, it definitely has a lot of... And I've never been there, but mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people uh, who have been there talk about it, of yeah. the immense energy feeling that they get there. Mm-hmm. And it's not even like a negative energy ever, which is crazy too. It's like always feels like it's like a positive energy. Yeah. Which I mean, if it's a natural earth main energy, then that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Now, Becky, do you, what, what's your thoughts and opinions on the, um, on the Stonehenge? Um, well, I know that I've, I've always wanted to visit it. I've always thought that would be a really cool place to visit. Um, I do agree with David that I, I think it is man-made. Um, but it, I would think that you would have to, they had to have been drawn to that location to build it there for a specific reason. Yeah. Cause I, I personally feel that people back in the day were more open and more sensitive to certain things, unlike people these days. And so I feel like, like what David said, and I agree with you, Becky, I think people were drawn to that particular location and that's why the stone hedge is there as a whole obviously there's probably some nitty-gritty details in that but i do believe that people were drawn to that area because of the energy yep. so now what what are your thoughts on uh the devil's triangle because i don't i don't have too much information on that i but personally it's, it's have never heard to the of Bermuda it. triangle um i think now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, Becky. Hasn't Ghost Adventures already done something about the Devil's Triangle and ley lines and stuff like that, or was it just the ley lines? Um, I don't really remember. There's, there's so many episodes that they've done that mm. <laughs> I can't keep up, but it, it kind of sounds familiar. I haven't heard a whole lot about it, so. Yeah, and I'm not familiar with the Devil's Triangle either, but if I remember correctly, I think... I think it was a couple seasons ago, the Ghost Adventures crew did, an, did a couple of investigations where Ley Lines and this Devil Triangle intersected or whatever. I can't quite remember, I'd have to look more into it, but apparently I guess there's some sort of a thing that goes on with this triangle with the with the Devil or something, I don't know. I think uh, it's in uh, Tennessee. Because um, there's like a certain aspect because let's not get confused with the Bermuda Triangle because the yeah. Bermuda Triangle is also called the Devil's Triangle. Yeah. That's but this true. is something uh more in the which I'm sure there's actually probably a lot of places. Yeah, that are called. wasn't one of the locations where it intersected was that Devil Goat Bridge or whatever in Texas or whatever they called it. I think I remember yeah, them yeah, saying there was something the Goat about Heads that Bridge. Place. Yeah. Yeah there was like there was like a weird triangle formation that happens uh, between these three different spots in different um, you know countries and stuff mm-hmm. and yeah they did a whole connection with all that and stuff which which I mean I believe that's true with uh, certain things like uh, just buildings in general yeah. there are certain buildings placed around that I feel like are connected to other buildings through these uh, m- imaginary energy lines so to speak mm-hmm. that connect them yeah and whether that's uh, man-made or not, you know, is, is up in the air. Because I know in Ogden, there's, um, like, this mill area. Mm-hmm. 
and then straight up close up to the mountain there's this uh and it's past ogden high there's this uh, old folks home that used to be a hospital and they look right at each other and at one point they were built at the same time and they were connected mm-hmm. you know uh energy wise and it's just crazy it's called because it's like it's a sister building is what it's called yeah and um it's crazy that uh, when you're standing at the top looking down and you just see this big building straight at it because the road goes straight down to it mm-hmm. uh just the energy line that is connecting it mm-hmm. so i feel like there's tons of ways for buildings and stuff to get connected but so yeah the devil's triangle i don't know too much on it i feel like there's one in tennessee based on what i'm looking at um but then there's the the, the bigger version of it that i think ghost adventures did mm-hmm. there's just a lot that happens involving connecting ley lines and all that mm-hmm. but now i know when you did research on this wasn't there any ley lines that were coming anywhere close to where we are located you know, I've had the hardest time discovering ley lines, like, in a smaller map area, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I can f- view it on uh, a bigger scale, Yeah. but wanting to, like, go in-depth and, like, just, like, a Utah Maps version mm-hmm. of ley lines, it's really hard. But, like, mm-hmm. I think the biggest point of ley lines starts... So the Bermuda Triangle is a point where ley lines start. And then there's a place kind of near, what is it? It's like San Diego, the Andreas Fault Line, I think. Is that what it's called? San uh, the, the Andreas Fault Line runs uh, on the border of Nevada and California. So there's this one point... Um, that starts in like Mexico, Arizona, mm-hmm. that goes straight up. That's where a big ley line is. And okay. it does go through uh, Utah and Idaho. And it's on like the left side of Utah. So it's on the left side of the Great Salt Lake. And then it's on the far right side of uh, Idaho. Okay. Um, let's now, do you think possibly some of the ley lines could be caused from the. Uh, from tectonic uh, movements and everything like that since there are plenty of fault lines that span between the Midwest all the way to the coast of California. Obviously, there's a couple of big fault line lines, the San Andreas, and then there's a fault line that runs all across the Wasatch Front as well, and then I think there's a few others as well. Do you think that might have correlation with ley lines as well? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that uh, the tectonic plates are essentially, you know, the ley lines because when they shift, I mean, that's a lot of energy, right? That's a lot of energy. Earthquakes. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that every time they slowly, you know, shifting and stuff, it's just producing that energy, maybe on a scale that we can't feel, but they're always constantly like moving. Yeah. Especially, you know? how long ago has it been since uh, those. Uh, Last round of earthquakes out of Soda Springs, what, five years ago, four years ago, something like that? Well, you had that, and then you also had the one in Utah that happened, I think, what, two Over years by ago? by Magna. By yeah. Magna. Yeah, because after the, uh, was it four or five years ago, Becky? Oh, well, it was going, when, let's see, what year was it we did Chesterfield, because that was... I think that was like four years ago, five years ago? 
2008, yep. 2009, or 2018, 2019, something like that. Yeah, cause, because Tawny was coming from Soda to meet us there, and sh- they had, were having the earthquakes in. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because uh, I do remember uh, after those uh, round of earthquakes that uh, was shaking underneath Soda Springs and around Soda Springs, I know paranormal activity definitely spiked tenfold within a 200-mile radius of where the earthquakes were happening. Because I do remember we were getting a lot of different cases, and that was shortly after the earthquakes happened. Yeah, so I definitely believe that. I mean, there's a connection there for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With, uh, I mean, the earth and, and energies in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the Bermuda Triangle... That's obviously like one of the biggest topics, and everyone know, has heard about it and knows about the Bermuda Triangle. Just with all the, you know, ships and planes, yeah. and pretty much if you go in the Bermuda Triangle, you don't come out. Now, there's a lot of things on that, whether it's supernatural, or if it's uh, weather related, or if it's aliens, which is everyone's favorite go to, I think. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine it's aliens. Maybe one percent, if that's the case. If that, yeah, I don't think it's gonna be aliens. I think it's either gotta be something either supernatural or something naturally occurring. Now, if you two. take what we know about uh, the the Bermuda Triangle with the the ley lines and everything, I can see how there's just a massive amount of energy swirling. And it just makes the weather too much for our ships, mm-hmm. even back then, mm-hmm. to handle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there cause... are tons of stories that are pretty crazy out there involving it. Yeah, because I remember uh, reading something in regards of people who would go remotely close to the uh, Bermuda Triangle. Their instrument clusters would start freaking out, just going haywire. Uh, navigations would go offline, stuff like that. And so I kind of wonder if there's just one huge-ass vortex, a magnetized vortex right there in the Bermuda Triangle that is causing people to get disoriented and ultimately people disappear within the triangle. What are your thoughts on that? Yep, I totally believe that. Um, Also, are there any new wreckages that are happening? None that I am aware of, but I'm pretty sure no one really either flies or travels through the Bermuda Triangle. I think that's one of those areas where people just avoid with right because the there are I think occasionally you'll get people that go go through it some at some point. Yeah. Um and I think there's stories of them like losing track of time. Mm-hmm. Um there's some people that literally see like a ship come out of the Bermuda Triangle that's yeah. just floating and all the passengers are just gone, all the crew just an mm-hmm. empty ship. So, I mean, there are crazy stories like that that right. happen. But then I think the majority of the time with the sinkings and all that of the older generation of ships, I think are just they couldn't handle the sheer waves and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if there's a high-energy vortex right there in the Bermuda Triangle, I would dare say that I doubt the waters there would be any sort of calm I would think it would always be choppy weather or at least choppy waves and everything like that and unsettled seas right in that particular area but 
that's just speculation. I've never been there and never been closer there. But that's just my thoughts on it. Um, what what do you guys think of uh, churches being built on uh, specific spots? Do you think churches are built on specific energy vortexes? It could happen. I think. I think it. It's a plausible thing. What about you, Becky? Well, I know that. That I know with even like the with the LDS religion. I know that. I mean, they will. It will. They'll announce it from the prophet saying that it was they chose this particular location. Um, so you got you have to wonder whether you know these higher higher up people in any religion whether maybe they're getting some divine you know some divine answers telling them where to build specific mm -hmm. places I, mm -hmm. it's a possibility right because i mean there's obviously the the normal places that are just built in terms of location specific in regards to its location to its the people like you know neighborhoods and stuff mm -hmm. but the big big temples that that you see um, I think they're they are put there for a specific reason, not just like oh this is a good spot, let's put it here, you know. And like back when they you know were first doing that, I think the biggest thing was put put it on a hill, right? Yeah. The higher mm -hmm. the, the higher it's up, it's the closer you are to God, right? That was the philosophy back when they were first doing that. And then I think mm -hmm. it started getting more specific on what feels like a good spot. And then now with uh, just the normal churches they built, it's just like, we'll put it where we need it. Yeah. Yeah, back in the day, I would feel that uh, there was a purpose of putting a church in a particular location versus these days. But I did um, read something that I guess apparently the LDS faith is one of the biggest um, private land orders in the United States or something like that. Yep. Yeah, I thought that was a little interesting. But I do feel that back in the day, the placement of a church or a pretty important building uh, definitely, uh, definitely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It definitely res resulted in either someplace super high so everybody could see it or there could be something supernatural behind it. That's always a plausible thing. Right. Now, I think the majority of these major ley line points where they mm -hmm. start, I think every point where it starts from, there's something that's built there. Mm -hmm. So I think as uh, whether or not for some reason we got lucky as uh, humanity and just like, yeah, we should put something right here all over the world, got lucky or something definitely told us to do that at some point. Yeah, which circles back to what I was talking about, that uh, I think people back in the day were more sensitive to these types of things than people these days. So I think once they felt that particular energy, I think that's where they made the determination. We're going to build right here. You know what I mean? Besides sea, obviously, anywhere where there's land where um, that we can access, that there's a ley light point that starts, there's literally something there, whether it's like the, the pyramids... Yeah. Uh, Eastern Island, you know, it has those statues and stuff. And um, I mean, there's a volcano, but I mean, that's a volcano. You really can't build nothing on a volcano. But that makes a sense for a volcano to be a point of ley lines, because that's literally where, like we said, with the Tatank plates, things are moving and energy's happening. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, well, can you imagine? Because I know recently, well, there was that, um, I don't remember where it was at. It was somewhere near like uh, the Tongans, I think, where that volcano erupted. Yeah. And like um, destroyed like tons of the islands nearby of, of like water and stuff. Because like when that thing exploded, because it, like, it was like an underwater volcano. Yeah. And it sent like a big shock wave and everything. Like imagine that energy just moving across like half the world mm-hmm. moving all that like that's a big force of energy well, that's that would be the same force as one of the super super volcanoes like the one underneath yellowstone if that were to erupt oh we'd be it, screwed yeah we'd be screwed pretty much everybody would die on on the planet earth and whoever does survive would have to go through it's almost like many a many winters fall out mm-hmm. the whole nine yards for years before it clears out yeah, that would be like basically the Earth imploding itself if that thing ever went off. But Which, that's why we got to be thankful for these little things that happen, like little earthquakes and little yeah. volcanoes over going off, because that's what's mm-hmm. relieving the pressure from the super volcano. Yeah. And which I wanted to bring this up too, because obviously where the where the continents are now is not where they initially were. I mean, at one point in time, there was one big landmass uh, called Pangaea or something like that, and then obviously tectonic plates and it spread that big continent apart into the continents that we that's on the Earth now. You know, so I kind of wonder how the ley lines and all of that looked back in the day when it was just one huge supercontinent before it started breaking apart and then turning into these multi-regional continents, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I believe that that was true as well, uh, just based on the the science of uh, dinosaur bones. Where yeah. they discovered some bones in an area where, like, if you looked at it on a map now their main region of habit would be like on a different continent mm-hmm. so at some point they had to have been connected for that type of uh, species to be on the other side and then it just split up by that time or it yeah. died and then it stayed there and then it split up and then we discovered it later yeah because if you look at where we're at locally this all used to be underwater because this used to be beachfront before the tectonic plates happened and California started colliding into the the tectonic plate that California sits on is a different tectonic plate that the United States sits on and then obviously that created you know the Rocky Mountains and that got rid of any water that was inland technically inland now and the only thing left is a very salty lake which is the Great Salt Lake but if you go around uh, people are finding woolly mammoths. People are finding um, fossilized uh, crustaceans and everything like that. And also finding fossilized palm trees uh, and that are typical around a tropical or, or near some, side, some sort of a coastline. So it definitely makes sense that there would be some sort of ley lines coming through here because that's where the tectonic plates collided and then you know created the Rocky Mountains in California and all that good jazz. Right. So, yeah, that's crazy. It really is. I mean, history, especially geographical history, I'm really big in. I've been watching a lot of, like, history about the Earth and everything, learning about how, you know, the 
the world used to have one big landmass and then it slowly started breaking apart. And if you look at a map, for example, you could start putting the pieces together. I mean, uh, South America and Africa used to be conjoined with each other. Uh, the upper part of Africa used to be where the, you know, used to be where Me the Gulf of Mexico was. I mean, it all makes sense. In fact, I was reading an article a couple days ago where they were talking about this, um, that big old, um, Grand Canyon right there in the middle of uh, the uh, Atlantic Ocean. I can't remember what it's called, but that's where, essentially where the big landmass used to be, and then, you know, tectonic plates started splitting it apart, and they, the NASA took pictures of what it would look like underneath the water, and it's like ten times bigger than the Grand Canyon is in, in Arizona. That's basically what it looks like on a broader scale. So I would dare say that there's probably one strong ley line running across uh, north to south in the Atlantic Ocean, wouldn't you say, David? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like with our, the Grand Canyon down near Nevada, and then, yeah, you're talking about how basically all of Utah, where the Great Salt Lake is, I mean, that just big, we're basically one big fishbowl right mm -hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you have the salt flats that that was water at some point, and it's just all empty, flat land. Yep. It's definitely interesting. History is is a big thing that I really love to to research and and watch and everything, and it's it's just interesting how we got to where we are today, as as the Earth. You know what I mean? Not like society or anything. Yeah. Now this next place I'm going to talk about, I think, is a place we should all go and visit um it's the vortex and mystery house Ooh. um are any of you two familiar with this place no i am not i've heard a little bit about it but not a lot i'd like to go there i think what ghost adventures stopped by there briefly before they went to their location i think that's the majority of what i've seen about it mm -hmm. um but it goes along, obviously, as Vortex in the name. But it's in was it? It's in Gold Hill, Oregon. Oh, okay. Um, and it's this weird place that uh, I guess some people decide to to build stuff on it. Um, but like, it never really like flourished or whatever. So it kind of just became mm -hmm. abandoned, and then someone bought it. But what they didn't realize when they first built it to where after because I think it was built in like the early 20s for like I think like a couple college kids built it for something and then it was mm -hmm. open to the public in 1930 afterwards because um, it just has these weird energy feelings and all this stuff that these people but these houses utilize it um, yeah. but first it was known by the natives um, that they said that like the horses would not enter that area like, if they were riding up, the horses would, like, try to avoid that area as much as possible, which is very interesting. I mean, animals have a weird sense of things. And then even, like, uh, I think birds. It was either birds randomly appear or birds are, like, nowhere near this certain area, but, like, they're on the tree lines surrounding it. Yeah. So, basically, it was, like, a forbidden ground area for natives because they're like, well, the horses are spooked. We trust our horses, you know, because they have their that type of spiritual connection with their animals. Oh, yeah. That basically you were not allowed to go there mm -hmm. if you were a native. Um, but there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, 
that happens there. I think it's like what you and some of it looks like optical illusion as well. It'd be interesting. But like if you like roll this like ball up or down and it'll start rolling up, you know, but it looks like the angle and the slope and everything. But like everyone's like brought out like levels and stuff and like measure things and like everything looks good. But for some reason, things act out of the norm. Where like if you've got two people standing, one person looks higher than the other, but it's like flat level. And then like on one side, they have like this hanging thing that it's like heavy on one side, but like light on the other side. Cause it's like hanging from a string. And then they just have like these random circles that if you stand in the middle of it, you're standing in one of like the vortexes. So you just feel that energy swirling. It's a, tr it's a trip. It'd be really cool to, to go there. That would be cool. Yeah. That kind of kind of makes me wonder because in the, I remember watching Ghost Adventures go to the one, the one place I believe it was like Wolf Creek, in or and I think it was in Oregon too. Yeah, where they stood in that one particular spot and yeah, they were and dizzy was, and everything. It was, and yeah, and they were actually showing you know the same thing like he was saying with the levels and stuff that it was level but it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you know it's also in Oregon. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it is the same place because I was thinking the same thing too because I remember that particular episode yeah I don't know maybe they have multiple places in Oregon but that's crazy if they do because that means that there's like tons of energy circulation going on in Oregon yeah right. yeah I mean that'd be very it'd be very cool to to head up there for sure I've, I've always wanted to go to Oregon never been there and they have a lot of cool stuff up in Oregon you know yeah, you get to, I think Portland has the Shanghai tunnels That'd be, be cool. very cool to, yeah. to go to. That would be really fun to investigate. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things up in Oregon um, mm -hmm. that I would like to, to do. But yeah, Energy Vortex up in Oregon for some reason. There's a lot going on energy-wise up there. Oh, yeah. Um, now, so what, what do you think? Do you think vortexes and portals are the same? No. Uh, I believe vortexes are a natural occurring thing and portals are man-made. They were opened by man. What or, about spiritually opened? It can be... So let me back up. So it, it, most portals are man-made. Some portals can be opened by anything negative that happened in that particular location, like a murder or a death or anything like that. And it also can be opened up by people playing with nefarious things like Ouija boards doing scrying and everything like that when they don't know what they're doing. That's me personally, uh, and I think vortexes are just a natural occurring thing uh, that happens out in nature. And I do believe some spirits, particularly very malicious or demonic entities, can open up a portal as well. But that's just right. my thoughts. Well, I mean, if there's you know a vortex nearby... And this negative entity is like, wow, look at all this free energy. I'm going to use it and then just create my own portal right here, you know? Yeah, it could happen. I I don't see why it couldn't. Right. Because, I mean, we have uh, come across vortexes that are, you know, neutral and uh, nature-based. Yep. That the Earth is basically creating a, a natural vortex. And uh, then we've come across technically negative uh, vortexes that I don't think were like created by a person, but just mm -hmm. because of how it is, it just has that negative like energy zapping feeling, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a way of determining whether it is, and this is the same with portals. Yeah, 
with vortexes uh, of determining whether or not, besides just feel with our own bodies, mm-hmm. um, but like a visual representation of how to determine if something's negative or, or positive or not, is that uh, we'll use a pendulum. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, if it's uh, counterclockwise, it's negative, and if it's clockwise, it's positive. Correct. And the same thing happens when you put it above a person's head to check for a detachment. If it spins counterclockwise, they definitely have attachment. If it sits perfectly still, they don't. But if it spins clockwise, they have abilities. Right. Because there's definitely been times where we've been outside and it is a positive uh, energy feeling coming and it's like a swirling energy. Yep. We've definitely discovered that and can tell then there's other times where you're like, ah, this doesn't feel good. And we just check in like, yeah, it's, it's definitely got a negative energy flowing in this area. Yeah. Uh, whether it's, you know, outside nature based or a portal based. Um, but I also I have kind a of harder wonder... time deferring the two. Yeah. Like whether it's a portal or vortex, I just know it's it's something's here, this energy, and it's it's not good. Yeah. Whether it's a portal or a vortex, sometimes it gets muddled. And we just kind of say it's one or the other, but sometimes they're kind of the same, and other times they're different. It yeah. just varies. And I also kind of wonder, for those naturally occurring vortexes, I wonder if Native Americans just naturally gravitated towards them. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they're one with the land and everything, so mm-hmm. I would assume that that's where they would want to be um, spiritually after the fact is in those naturally occurring vortexes and that's why you probably get a lot of native uh, activity in such areas yeah because i kind of wonder like yellowstone as a whole obviously there's a super volcano with a huge chamber of magma sitting right underneath all of yellowstone i kind of wonder would you say yellowstone would be one of those naturally occurring vortexes oh absolutely i think it's one of the highest concentrations of uh, vortex that we have on on this side besides the uh the fault line that we said uh down here in california i think in the northwestern part yeah of the united states i would say yellowstone's the biggest c- concentration zone of a natural vortex which could potentially be touching that part of it, uh, oregon you know true that just it's it's tail end of its natural vortex is probably potentially hitting right there yeah, because they, uh, going back to the history of the Earth, they've determined that uh, the supervolcano, well, the continent has moved over the supervolcano. So at one point in time, uh, the supervolcano was closer to the Oregon border, and then slowly it, it moved, and then it moved again, and it kept on moving until where it's at now, and that's because the land has been moving that much. So over the course of, say, half a million years, you know, the land has moved that much, you know, to where that super volcano was. So I would truly believe that I would think that Oregon would have some natural occurring vortexes because at one point in time, the super volcano used to lay underneath it. So, yeah, I definitely think that is a huge, and I'm sure people have had like readings, you know, measured stuff technologically have used a bunch of stuff to do a bunch of tests and studies involving Yellowstone. Yeah. Now, Becky, what are your thoughts on vortexes versus uh, portals? Um, I would have to agree that the portals mainly, I think, would be man-made. Vortexes, 
absolutely I think that they are it there is so much energy in the earth the ground I mean every I mean all of people even are an energy yeah and I completely agree all right um is there anything else you guys want to talk about on um, on this no not really I mean we'll post up everything in the uh, Bear River paranormal podcast uh, group page so that way you guys can read through the same thing that we based everything off of so that way you guys get a better understanding on what we're talking mm-hmm. about and everything but I don't have any two cents to put on this topic what about you Becky uh, nope I'm good hey everybody the sponsor of today's episode is anchor the platform that we use at the BRB podcast for our podcast anchor is an awesome web-based distribution type platform kind of like Spreaker and some of those other platforms out there that allows people to host their podcasts but here's the caveat there is no caveat it's free free yeah free unlike some of the other streaming platforms that we've used in the past like Spreaker They limit you on how many episodes you can upload. They limit you on how many demographics and charts and stuff like that that you want to see and see how your podcast is doing. So Anchor provides all that for free. You can upload. You can have as many episodes as you want for how long it needs to be. They give you all of the graphs and charts needed so that way you can keep track of your progress on how well you're doing for your podcast. And they also give you the option to help monetize your episodes as well by either giving you some sponsorships or you obtain some sponsorships. We definitely, definitely recommend checking out Anchor for all of your podcast needs because us at BRP Podcast, we are a self-funded podcast. So the fact that we can use internet-based platform for free and they give us all the tools to make us successful, is why we give them two thumbs up. So we definitely recommend you check out Anchor. The link is in the description of this podcast. We would love for you to check them out and let them know that we sent you over to them. Thanks, Anchor. All right. Um, we're going to briefly talk about Visage. Did I say that right? Is that how you would say it? Visage? So technically it's called Visage. Okay, we'll see. That's... I don't read. Potato, uh, potato. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 technically it is called vis- visage or whatever, the way that it's technically spelled, but they call it visage. But it's kind of, uh, this is going to be a different uh, game that we're going to be talking about. This isn't going to be like the last game that we talked about where that was like more tailored towards. Right? Yeah, this is more horror based. So if, essentially, the game is set inside a huge house with uh, terrible things that are happening. You'll wander through the gloomy corridors, explore every dead room, you you get lost in endless maze, your head fills with memories of the dead families that once lived in this very home. This twisted environment, void of any life other than yourself, takes you to a place you couldn't even bear to imagine. Um, This house is stained with the terrible past. Families were brutally murdered by their own family members. People went insane, many committed suicide, and other grisly events occurred. 
Each and every room has its story painted on an invisible canvas. As a player, you will uh, relive parts of the dark past, and each of its fragments will leave you restless and terrified. You'll soon wish you could join the dead's ranks in their abyss. But death won't help you leave this place. Will you run from it, or will you try to uncover the truth behind the shadows? So basically, it's a more horror-esque type game. It's a walkthrough game. Um, you're going to be experiencing dark entities throughout the gameplay. Um, you're going to find little uh, tips and tricks, and you're going to find keys, and you're going to find other things that are going to kind of make your way through this whole entire game. That's essentially the gist of it. I've watched some of the gameplay of it. Uh, I do believe, let's see... Markiplier has also done one, and then there's a few other ones that have done one as well about this particular game, and it definitely, there's some parts of this game that will make you jump, and I ain't kidding you. And I'm not much of a jumpy person, and this game will make me jump. Imagine playing it in VR. Oh, yeah. I that would be I think this is the perfect worse. VR game. Oh, yeah. Because you, you, once you turn around, you see something right there, and it's about ready to attack you. I mean, that that's just the epitome of getting scared shitless, literally. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. I mean, it looks good. Like, the gameplay, like the house and everything, it looks really oh, yeah. good. Like, like 4K quality. Mm -hmm. Like, it looks, it doesn't really look like a game. It looks like a real thing. Like, besides the movements... It almost looks like a 3D tour of an actual house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Becky, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, I'll have to see if my son can get it for his Oculus. That might be quite comical to watch. Well, I do know that we can get it on uh, Steam. So you can download it on Steam. I'm not 100% sure if it can be uh, played on anything else, but it's definitely something to, you that can. would be worth it. It's into. right here. It oh, it is? Sweet. Yeah. Pretty much, Oculus is able to pretty much play any game that's on Steam sweet <laughs> well that would be a fun game so if your son downloads that and starts playing it you'll have to let me know and uh, record it that would be hilarious to watch I will. Yeah. that will be well because you be can funny. hook it up uh the oculus to like a tv or your phone to see what they're seeing in game mm -hmm. yeah so it's really cool to, to do that as well and you can like just screen capture it or whatever um mm -hmm. same with that phasmophobia he should really try to play that because that game is, looks fun as hell yeah <laughs> that would be great yeah, we'll definitely, we'll post up links, uh, the Wikipedia link about Visage, and then the Steam link, and then we'll post up some other things about uh, some of the other YouTubers that were playing it, and the uh, actual trailer for it as well, which this particular game is actually created by Sad Square Studios. In fact, this was actually released, I would say, back in October 30th of 2020. Uh was for the Windows, PS4, and Xbox One, and the Enhanced Edition one came out on October 28th of 2021, and then the PlayStation 5, it came out on November 11th, 2021 as well. So it's a relatively newer game, and it definitely has the 4K quality to it. Yeah, if we ever get the chance to to play this on VR and film us, I'd love to put it on, on this because it, mm -hmm. it would be so hilarious to see how shit scared out of us. <laughs> right. And he, he, my son's not a horror fan at all, so it would be truly funny to watch him. 
just be mm-hmm. standing in the room in the game in the room like no nah, i'm not going past that door i'm good <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that'd be hilarious actually yeah and just even watching it just watching it on youtube at my computer there was a few times where i've jumped i was like oh shit like jesus <laughs> oh yeah i couldn't imagine doing it in vr that'd be awesome oh yeah i know uh sadie's mom and keith uh they they bought two they have two vr uh oculus headsets that they mm. play all the time now so i might try to get them i mean they wouldn't like it at all but it'd be very cool and i'm thinking about buying one too i think it'd be fun to have yeah yeah it would definitely be fun it'll be fun to play with uh, i would love to get a vr just to experience that i think that would be hilarious so you becky definitely let us know when he does play it because it's going to be very hilarious just watching it okay we'll do um all right this might all be right. a big big thing We'll see, but we're going to talk about Benson. Yes, Benson Gristmill. The good old Benson Gristmill. Now, Becky, since you're the guest of the show, I want you to start out on this. What were your thoughts and what's your experiences with Benson Gristmill as a whole? Well, I found that the over the few times that I've been to Benson Gristmill, that you can show up to that location expecting one thing, and it's a totally different feeling. It's, mm-hmm. It varies different times that you go. The one time you can go and it's a calm, peaceful feeling and you can have, you will have activity, but it won't be a negative feeling activity. You can show up again a few months later and you'll have a totally different experience. In which I completely agree with you on that one. Yeah, it's definitely one of those that I think the first time going there i was like oh this is pretty chill it's pretty calm there's a couple things here and there and like just just normal felt calm and then i think the second time you're like oh well there's a little darker side to benson and you're like oh there's a, there's mm-hmm. a few like i got more experienced in, in doing paranormal where i noticed the darker stuff yeah. and then the next time after that i'm like oh there's actually a pretty couple dark things here that are non-human <laughs> mm-hmm. not just nasty people you know so then combining that and actually building it off that, you're like, oh, there's actually a lot going on here than I first realized. Yeah. And I do want to put this out there right now. I mean, there's been numerous other people and other groups and pe- other people that do podcasts have also talked about Benson Gristmill. Now, this is our experience, which is definitely going to differ from anybody else's experience. So I just wanted to get that uh, forward for you guys before we proceed more into this particular topic because the things that we have experienced other people have never experienced this at this location so we just wanted to make you guys aware of this oh yeah there's going to be things that we say that i'm sure someone out there's going to be like well i never experienced that i think it's this or this that's different from us and that's fine i don't that that's their opinion but this is just what because we've been there a few times now and Mm -hmm. i mean it's going to be unrelated to anything ghost adventures did yeah. or says said honestly and we're just going to go in with our own experiences because we've experienced kind of a lot there yeah and so i'm confident in everything we're about to say that this is what we believe because we've experienced it yeah and just to preface i've been to this location as many times if not more than the whittier center and the whittier, whittier center used to be my number one place where i've been to the most and so far benson gristmill has already etched it out 
including some of the like one or two times I'm going to be going there just this year alone. So I'm going to be adding that on top of that. But here's here's the thing. If you if you go there and you want to experience something paranormal, you're definitely going to experience it there at Benson Gristmill. If you're not looking for any trouble and if you're not looking for anything malicious, there is definitely a lighter side to Benson Gristmill. Yeah, there, there there's definitely areas that are lighter. But there's also a lot darker things there as well, uh, particularly the swamp area, the amphitheater area, and the big barn. Those are the two places where there is something very, very nefarious going on in both those locations. Um, there's a jack. There's kind of a jackass that kind of resides in the big mill. He kind of keeps to himself unless you provoke him, and then he will definitely come out. But outside of that, there and are the blacksmith shop. Yeah, the blacksmith shop. That well, guy. He, I mean, he's all right. He's a yeah, normal he's all right. guy, but you can like irritate the shit out of him really easily. Yeah, yeah. And then that's when he starts getting aggressive. But if you just respect his uh, respect his area and you respect him, then he will do the same to you, and there won't be any problems. But there's other buildings there where you can walk in and you can talk to little children spirits. You can talk to females. You can talk to nicer males. You know. But some of the areas, like the barn and the amphitheater, for example, are two of the worst spots in that whole entire location. Um, I've personally have experienced and seen people get attacked at both of those areas in that location. I've seen bruises form on people. I've seen scratches. Uh, we've had to uh, cleanse people and pull attachments out of them uh, from those two areas in that location. And, and it's not like we're... in intentionally trying to find anything dark there it's just when you work with the paranormal like this and you work with all aspects of the paranormal including the malicious and negative stuff it tends to bring itself up when you go into a location and this is one of those locations and the unfortunate thing when i first and i would say david and becky can i can agree the first one first or second time we've been there it wasn't really that bad i mean the guy in the barn he was always been kind of a dick you know but everywhere else has always been pretty positive in fact down by the uh fire pit uh i was in direct communication with a female spirit there and i can't remember if becky and david you were with me with that one yep yeah yeah i was there yeah so there are positive things and positive outcomes that come from that particular location, but there are negative entities there that, unfortunately, every time we seem to go there, it seems to be more and more that's happening there. And that personally saddens me because that place is such a nice historical location that they really upkeep and everything. And I really think some people bring the stuff in and feed it. Because there's not just Benson Grismo, there's other locations that we've come across where at first it wasn't that bad and now they're really bad. Yeah, that is very definitely true. Because I, cause I don't want to blame, and I know we were going to bring Ghost Adventures up as much, but I did. Um, that Ghost Adventures has a type of ability that once they air a location, it sends to bring in a lot more darker people, dark-minded mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. to that location yep, and try to do more to that location than what originally is there just because Ghost Adventures was there. Yeah. And But that could be the same even even before Ghost Adventures came there. There could have been the possibility of people because uh, it's a very popular 
place for ghost hunters or ghost investigators to use. Yeah. Because it's fairly reasonable price-wise for what you get. And a lot of people like to do tours there, public tours, private investigations, whatever. Mm -hmm. So it does get, I would say, probably one of the most attention in Utah. Yeah. In, in terms in terms of that. Yeah. And which I have to tip my hat to the person that uh, runs the whole entire Benson Grist Mill because she is amazing. Um, when you talk to her, when you book with her, she's, she's very nice. She's very kind-hearted. And she's very easy to get along with. And the fact that... Benson Grismo was one of those locations where they did not try to overcharge people and increase their rates just because a, a TV production crew was there and everything like that. She still has the same rates, she still has the same rules, and she still lets everybody go investigate there even after the fact. So I definitely give two thumbs up to her because she didn't do what everybody else did and charge up the ass to get access to this location and have you know all this publicity behind it yeah that's very good that's very rare too because anytime a play ghost adventures does it that's a business they definitely upcharge right after that very or much so. close it down altogether because there's been yeah. times where ghost adventures have gone to a place and then after ghost adventures have left they said no nah, we're not doing this no more like eureka utah yeah that's yeah example number one of one them for sure yeah well and i think some of that comes back to you get some of these people, not just Ghost Adventures, but some of these people that come in that are for TV and for the production crews, and they have to make it so that it, people want to watch it. And so they fabricate some of the things or maybe over-exaggerate a little bit. And some of the things tend to give the places a reputation that that place doesn't want. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of makes them, they don't want anybody else to come in because it's given the field that reputation. Yeah. Right. Because if you get a restaurant that says, oh, there's tons of demons here, and you're like, no, there's not. And yeah. then all right. the people believe that, and they're like, well, we're not going there anymore. There's demons. Which, ironically like, speaking, shit. we literally just talked about this on a previous episode with Dan and Storm, where uh, Albion was ready to shut things down because of Ghost Adventures. Right. Well, people see these, they see this on TV, and they don't really realize that actual investigating isn't anywhere near what you see on TV. It's not, you know, things happening constantly. It's a lot of sitting. It's a lot of being quiet. It's a lot of listening. There's not action happening. You know, they, they take nights at a location to get what evidence they fit into an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. And that's yep. what we talked about in the last episode, too, uh, with Dan and Storm, that we everything we got is in one night. So we want to make sure that that's out there because yeah, yeah a lot of places when you see these filming stuff they do do multiple nights and they'll show you all this evidence that they're getting that seems like sometimes in one night but it's actually over a couple of nights yep, yep. which but, that's so, that's just yeah. the, the reality of it when it comes to these big productions that takes multiple days it takes a, a week just to film one location unlike some of the other people like us when we're doing our project it has to be done in one night, 
you know, and I know some of the other YouTubers out there that do uh, investigating for a career and post their videos on YouTube. Most of the time, they're only doing it in one night and they're getting as much evidence, if not more. So I guess it really begs the difference. Do you really need multiple nights in a location or do you just need one good solid night in a location? I guess that's the ultimate question. I think it helps. I think if it's feasible, multiple nights is your best option because that gives you a higher percentage chance yeah. of getting well, something. Plus, you're getting a tone to the location. You're getting more in feel with it if you're doing multiple nights as well. And then one night just might be lower than the other, and then the next night might be higher. Mm-hmm. Well, and that kind of comes back to this to this to what we were talking about earlier as well, that... You can go to some place one time and it will be completely silent. Mm-hmm. And you can come back a week later or even the next night and it will be completely active and not even the same location. It'll oh, feel yeah. like a totally different place. Yeah, it, 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 like my experience with, uh, with uh, the Whittier Center, there will be one night where it will be just balls to the wall activity and then another night it'd just be deader than a doornail no pun intended so i mean it, it definitely goes across every single location that there could be more active nights versus some nights where it's not active at all in fact on the next episode we're going to be talking about becky's house and it's kind of the same thing with her house there would be a week or two weeks where it's just batshit crazy in there with activity and then it's dead for like six months but we'll definitely talk more about that on the next episode but it goes across the board with any location any location you go to if you visit the location more than once you'll notice that the activity is always different every time you go and some nights are going to be more active than others and that's just how it is so with Benson in our dealings I would say there are there are two human negative spirits there Mm -hmm. and then there are well okay let's go it's tough because you you got the one in the mill then you got the one guy and and then then you got one who is uh uh near the blacksmith who is on and off he can be bad and he can be you know yeah he's kind of the middle of the road guy and then you have the guy who's in the barn which can almost be classified as non-human. It's hard to tell. I, I think he is human. He just definitely he is. is on the very, very, very dark side of trying to seem like he's non-human. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one's interesting because there's there's something with fire with that guy. Because that's the main theme I get when I'm in that barn. Yeah. There's always something with fire involving him. Yeah. And that one was interesting. The one time uh, we went and I uh, had my SLS... And uh, I was actually, I went up top in the barn. You know, there's always that ladder and there's that upper bit. Mm-hmm. I actually did go up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the SLS was tracking something by me up there that was getting closer and closer to me to the point where everyone down was like, all right, you got to come down. Something's, something's trying to get you up there. Yeah. And then you have the biggest controller there that is the non-human entity that portrays itself as a female and it almost looks like a swamp witch yep um that is the biggest thing there that is always i think trying to assert either dominance or definitely trying to get people that are weaker and isolate them and attack them yep um we've dealt with her i think 
besides the first two times, every other time since. Yep. She definitely knows us and hates the shit out of us. Mm-hmm. Because um, I think we're one of the few people that actually acknowledge her existence and forcibly oppose her. Yep. Now, other people I may... Know, ha- personally, myself, I've pissed her off one too many times. I mean, I've... I've done things to make her weak and get her all sorts of pissed off. And then the next time I go there, she like beelines it. She like has her sights on me. And it's like, oh, yeah, you remember me now. Yep. And she's teamed up with the the man in the barn yep. to uh, attack as well. Mm-hmm. And she may or may not have other little uh, spiritual minions that she controls as well. Yep. Um. Now, a lot of people listening may either agree with us and be like, you know, I've noticed that too. Um, and hopefully our, our goal is a little bit to make sure that when people go there that they are a little on the safer side. Yeah. You know, because there are times where kids are there at Benson, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, publicly for like school or whatever. Or even I know some groups have allowed kids on investigations there because the group feels like it's a safe place. So I just want to make a point that it may not be as safe as you think it is. Whether you believe me or not is up to you. But I just want everyone to be on the safer side uh, when going there because there yeah. is something, in my opinion, that is very, very bad. Yeah. And, I mean, if you take them to different parts of the, of the, of the mill, like if you take them into, like, the small mill, for example, we've caught a Class A EVP in that particular mill. We caught a baby laughing True. on... Uh, the FX 2.0. I heard a baby. Yeah, I just heard a baby. I just totally heard a baby. I heard a baby. Yeah, I just heard a baby. I just totally heard a baby. Now, Becky, were you with us on that one? I don't think you were. I don't think so. I'll no, it was uh, it. it was my wife, and then, then it was Whitney. Yeah, that's right. So I'll have you listen to it because that was the most recent thing that we caught at the Little Mill. But the, the spirits in the Little Mill are not bad at all. In fact, they, they'd be more keen to communicate with females and children versus males. And then the big mill, I mean, as long as you avoid the one asshole in the basement, the rest of the mill is pretty much level. I mean, there has been a thing or two that's happened in there. I watched uh, Tim practically almost get possessed in that particular mill um a few other things have happened in there as well but well, I there's would mostly say, workers in that mill yeah, you know it's just so mostly it's mostly workers. a male dominated energy yeah and then the rest of the land i mean it's not really that bad i mean the schoolhouse you have the teacher out there which if she doesn't like you she will definitely make herself known that she doesn't like you but she tends to get along with pretty much everybody that walks in there me personally that is probably the deadest building to me uh, the, all the buildings there, but other people have gotten phenomenal uh, evidence out of that little schoolhouse. Um, there's also a big aspect that I don't think a lot of people know is in the top right corner, there is a cemetery connected to the property. Yep. I mean, you is. can't access it. It's fenced off, but it is literally right there. There's a cemetery. And then also a lot of people need to be mindful that if you're going to be bringing equipment out there, that's going to be measuring EMF. You literally have to watch out where you have that pointed because there is a huge ass cell tower right next door to Benson Gristmill. And I've already proven numerous times over and over again that that 
cell phone tower is what's causing a lot of people's equipment to go off in regards to EMF. Yeah, anything that involves EMF at Benson, I just, I don't use. Mm -hmm. Because exactly. I can't credit any of it because there is potential of the interference, which is pretty constant. And I try not to, you know, say out loud, but when people talk about their evidence involving EMF, I have to just say in my head, it's not true, it's not true, it's not true, but I don't exactly. want to douse their spirits and say, actually, what you're getting is not actual, you know? Well, and sometimes you kind of have to because it, it's, it. I know it's shitty, it really is, but to say that you've gotten paranormal activity in the upstairs, the like the very top of the big mill, but knowing that there is a cell tower less than, I would say, six, seven hundred feet away, it's not paranormal, and... You know, and I don't want to dash people's dreams either, but when a cell tower is that close to the property and every single K2 is going off in the in the big mill. Constantly, it, like constantly, in the red. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the cell phone tower. And sometimes you kind of have to be that asshole to disprove what they're catching because you want to educate them and tell them, no, this is not paranormal related because of this this and this but if you go into the basement of the big mill and you get a random k2 spike it could be something yeah because you definitely you have more of that uh concrete wall plus underground that yep. there's more of a buffer for that you know because obviously the higher you go the more you're going to get because you're getting closer to the range of the cell tower yep agreed but so yeah we've dealt with that I mean yeah there is children's spirit there for sure it, it's kind of it's a mixed bag for sure so it is very one of those interesting places that you can get pretty much all aspects mm -hmm. of children women nice human negative angry bad mm -hmm. and non-human all all in one night yep you know if if you can and because like one of my all-time favorite experiences there was that random light flash at the amphitheater yeah that was weird that was by far one of the craziest things i've ever witnessed with my own eyes and i can't explain it because it wasn't a car mm -hmm. you know and it just it just felt like you know those old-timey photos where they have to like snapshot that big flash thing to take yeah. it it just felt like that, just the side of my face. It just lit up my face, blinded me. And then yeah. the left side of my face that wasn't looking at it can just see the buildings just getting lit up. And I just couldn't immediately turn to that direction, see nothing. I don't even see a car continuing to move or nothing. It was the craziest things I ever experienced. And then, yeah, the recent one with the baby laugh. That was so crazy to hear live. Yeah. And I actually, I had the headphones in with my eyes closed, so I was doing the deprivation thing. Mm -hmm. And then you guys even heard it you know from the speaker and i had it in my ear and i just straight up heard that and i freaked out because yeah. i've never heard a baby laugh before yeah in fact if you listen to our friends over at the evp podcast they actually played that particular sound clip from us true uh, they did. A, a few months ago so we will definitely add it to this episode as well so that way you guys can hear it but I would have to say my two craziest experiences there was watching Tim getting possessed and he wanted to kill me and then that baby laugh. Those were the two craziest experiences that I've had there besides, you know, people getting attacked and bruises and scratches and everything. But those were probably my two highlights. And what about you, Becky? Um, I think most of mine have been in the barn 
that I can, you know, that stay in my mind would be dealing with the old man in the barn, and then probably the last time we were there dealing with that nasty hag. Those were, those were, those stand out in my mind the most there. Okay. And any final thoughts on this uh, topic, David? Um, well, like you said, obviously, we're not done. We're going to probably end up continuing to go back there. Yep. Uh, in futures. So it'll be, uh, just one of those things that we keep, keep going. And, you know, again, it's one of those things that if people who listen to us, who follow us, who are really wanting us to do, an investigation that is one of the locations that we would do for them who have like you know wanted to investigate with us mm-hmm. so it's but again it's one of those things that you guys really need to like request us message us and I'll get a decent amount of people who want it for us to do it yep because we're not going to do it if just like two or three people are like yeah we want to do it but if we get like uh, an amazing response of people like yeah that'd be really something we are want to do then we would consider doing it for our listeners. Yep, most definitely. And Becky, last thoughts on this topic? Nope, I'd love to go back to, to Benson. It's it's an overall great place to go. You just you have to go in there knowing and being ready for anything. All right, well, I agree with both of you, and I would say my final thoughts would c- coincide with both of your guys' response. So I don't need to, don't need to beat the horse, you know what I mean? Right. All right. So we do have a piece of equipment we're talking about today. Yes, we do. And surprisingly, you guys are going to be shocked that I don't actually own this piece of equipment. Because <laughs> it is uh, the tri-field meter, but it's the original analog version. I have the digital version. Yep. But it is uh, probably one of the most used next to the K2 pieces of equipment that everyone in the earlier days of investigating and even now some people love it uh used it was the Mm -hmm. first piece of equipment in everyone's kit yep that where equipment was when when it was available yep um now if you guys remember what my version was which is the digital version it tells you the number this one is slightly the same uh like shape and stuff but basically it has a um an analog like dial and based on when it gets spikes it'll spike up towards how much uh magnetic energy field or electrical or microwave when it gets it because you can there's a little dial that you can change it so you can do a radio microwave electric or magnetic which i think most people use the magnetic because mm-hmm. electrical can be dip- spotty when you're like in a house right you'll get that but it will you know spike when it gets uh, a signal. I don't know the range of it, but, uh, I mean, it, it might tell you on the thing. I think it's, like, up up to 100 mm-hmm. feet. I don't, I don't know what the range is meaning, but, uh, because it, it tells you a milligauss, but I, I just don't know, like, how close or how far away you have to be in order to, like, I'd have to field test it, right? But I don't yeah. have it, so it's harder for me to discern what the range is for what it needs in order to work but essentially so yeah it's the same thing just energy comes in front of it dial starts shooting uh from left to right Mm -hmm. based on how much energy there is yep and it's it's as simple as that that's basically it 
And it's one of those pieces of equipment that a lot of people would buy back in the day. So where there was just only the K2 and the Trifield, those were the really the only two that were offered in the market. This was prior to when the Melmeter got on the market. So I mean, the Trifield itself, particularly the analog version, has been a, been out there for years. I mean, 20 plus years it's been on the market. Most recently, within the last five years, they came out with a digital version of that, which David has purchased, and we definitely use it on every single investigation. And it's by far the most accurate when it comes to milligauss. I mean, between between the Trifield and the Melmeter, I would dare say the trifill definitely edges it out in in accordance to accuracy and everything but it's good to have multiple you know even if it's something as simple as a k2 to having something as simple as a millimeter to like what uh, becky has and then david and i have the advanced version that has the rem and temperature capabilities and all that good jazz um and then you know then obviously you just have the standard trifield meter which personally i would resort to using that when doing baselines than anything else and would you would you say that's correct david yeah i mean if i had i i mean i'd use i don't know i'm i'm assuming they still make them i can't imagine that because I, I guess i'd have to look it up i'd be surprised if well they, they make the digital version they just don't make the analog version anymore as far as i'm aware so it'd be one of those things that if you found uh <laughs> the original version I guess the price for that's going to start going up well it's kind of like some of the other older pieces of equipment like an ovulus 3 for example people are paying over a thousand dollars to get that piece of equipment just because it's been used so widely across a lot of different famous paranormal teams and everything and um let's see what else um that that uh little sony um is it sony or olympus that Zach uses on Ghost Adventures. I've been seeing that on eBay lately, and those are going for like anywhere between three to six hundred dollars a piece. Yeah, so I'm seeing someone selling one for a hundred and fifty dollars plus nine dollar uh, shipping. Yeah, see, that's not bad. Which I mean, but but the digital version is only a hundred and sixty-eight dollars without the hard case. But if you add the hard case, it's a hundred ninety-two dollars and ninety cents. Yeah, but I mean, it's not much of a difference, though. Yeah, it's not much of a difference. Especially where this is mass-produced, where the other ones are harder to find. Mm-hmm. But that, that is interesting. I mean, I guess if people do have them, it's, it's one of those things that it'll end up being one of those things that you can look back to because, I mean, I, I, I think I know, who is it? Doesn't Fred have one? He might. I do believe he does. He either has the original or he has the digital version. I can't remember, but I think Fred does have one. Because I, I don't know many people who, who do have the original one. Uh, I know, I believe, when before I started my group, my old team, one of them had the original Trifield. But that's the only one that I've personally seen in real life. Everybody else that I've interacted with, I haven't seen them use the original Trifield. So it's just one of those things that they obviously advance the technology, but it wasn't just be- it wasn't because this original version didn't work. I think it worked probably one of the best. They just found a better way to uh, improve on it. Honestly, yep. I think it's just one of those things that they found a way to make something that worked, yeah, really good, and made it just as better. 
you know. Yeah, because I honestly don't think that they can improve on this anymore unless they start adding other features to it, like right. what they did with the mail meter. Right. Yeah, because I think where it is now is going to be the staple for the next twenty years. Yep. But I mean, it's it's it, it's a good piece of equipment for sure. I just think it's just more one of those that it's a history lesson, I guess, because. You're not going to really be able to, to buy them these days. And mm. if you do, they might be overpriced because they don't make them anymore. Yep. Agreed. But I, I th- it's still a good piece of equipment. It's up there with the K2. It's reliable. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't have one. Yeah, not the original, but you definitely have the digital. Which I do like. I use it pretty much every investigation. Yeah. we. I mean, we definitely recommend it for everybody. I mean, 168 bucks. I think that's the price. Yeah, 168 bucks is really not that bad. That's up where up there with the price of a new millimeter with the extra functionalities to it and, and some of the other pieces of equipment out there. So, I mean, it's right there in line with, with price range. So, I mean, ultimately, it's going to be up to you guys if you guys want to roll the dice and take a gamble on it. But we personally prefer to use it and we recommend you guys using it yeah price wise i think i mean that's pretty good for in terms of paranormal equipment it's Mm -hmm. not really that's not really on the expensive side yep um so i I think it's good and you can get it on sales i mean there's times when they're on sale that's Mm -hmm. probably the best time to swoop up on them um but i like them i definitely recommend it probably top 10 yep definitely uh, final thoughts on this topic, Rebecca? Mm, not that I can really think of. Okay. What about you, David? I think we're good. All right. Well, I'm the good. same way. So let's wrap the let's wrap this up. Okay. Thanks everyone for listening. I know it was different because I did the intro. Haha. <laughs> I didn't know if you noticed that. Yep. Switched it up. But uh, that's our episode, and have a good one. See ya. You are listening to the Bear River Paranormal Podcast, BRP Podcast. If you or you know of someone who is having issues with an entity or a possible haunting, please send us an email, text, or call. You can find all of our information at www.bearriverparanormal.com. We work 24-7 so we can resolve your paranormal issues quickly and as conveniently as possible. If you haven't already... Please subscribe to Bear River Paranormal Podcast. Toss us a rating or a review. You can also find us on Facebook at BRP Podcast. If you are interested in sponsoring us, or if you like your products featured on the show, please send us a message. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful rest of your day.